Jessica Baggins' 17th birthday was meant to be a joyful occasion, shared with close friends and her sister. But the following morning, as she walked home in the quiet hours of dawn, she seemingly vanished without a trace, never to be seen alive again. What makes this case truly chilling is that not long after Jessica's disappearance, a mysterious individual walked into the local police station, claiming to have blacked out and fearing that he might have been responsible for Jessica's fate. But the details of this confession didn't quite add up, sending investigators into a labyrinth of twists and turns to solve the mystery. This is Monsters. Jessica Irene Baggin was born on May 3, 1979 in Sitka, Alaska, a picturesque coastal town nestled on Baranoff Island in the southeastern part of the state. Situated between the mountains and the sea, it's a place surrounded by stunning natural beauty with a rich history dating back to its indigenous inhabitants, a history that deeply influences the culture. From this place, Jessica seemed to inherit a deep connection to the natural beauty and outdoor wonders that surrounded her. As the youngest of four siblings, Jessica grew up in a tight-knit family marked by love, adventure, and a shared passion for the great outdoors. Her father, George Baggin, was a kindred spirit in that regard. Like him, Jessica found her true happiness in the embrace of nature, and she was equally comfortable on land as she was on the water. Jessica's early years were filled with memorable family fishing expeditions around the Sitka area. Those outings were not merely about catching fish, they were about creating cherished memories and strengthening the bonds inside the Baggin family. During those trips, Jessica often took on the role of the official boat cook, whipping up hearty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners for her family and friends. From sushi to fruitcakes or the annual Thanksgiving pie-making marathons, Jessica's cooking skills were honed in the kitchens of her mother Vicky and her aunt Diane and she was considering a career in the culinary field. But she was more than a nature enthusiast and an emerging chef. She was a young woman known for her tenacity and determination. When her beloved dog Sam went missing in Aleutkina Bay, she spearheaded a two-week family rescue mission that ultimately led to Sam's safe return. In addition to her outdoor pursuits and culinary interests, Jessica had a talent for photography. She used her camera to capture the world around her, documenting school events and landscapes with her distinctive sense of humor and fun. That same sense of humor and love for laughter extended to her relationship with her cousins and nieces and nephews. Yet, the most profound and enduring relationship in Jessica's life were with her three sisters, Corey, Melissa, and Amanda. As sisters and friends, they shared an unbreakable bond, playing, sharing, talking, and working together in a way that only siblings could truly understand. They cherished her radiant smile and infectious laughter, but Jessica's youthful exuberance and future dreams would come to an unsettling and abrupt end, one that would leave an entire community rattled and her family shattered entirely. In the early morning hours of May 4th, 1996, Jessica, having just celebrated her 17th birthday the day before, found herself at her sister's residence in Sitka, visiting with a friend. She made the decision to walk home alone, a journey of about a mile, during the late night or early morning hours. 
However, the following morning, her parents awoke to a nightmarish reality. Jessica had never returned. Concerned and growing increasingly frantic, Jessica's father reported her missing to the Sitka Police Department on the morning of May 5th. Later that evening, as the hours passed without any sign of her, he returned to the police station, confirming that there had been no contact with friends or family. The community immediately mobilized a search and rescue effort focusing on the wooded area west of the Indian River, between the Sheldon Jackson College campus and Sawmill Creek Road. The search took a grim turn when Jessica's shirt, the same one she was wearing when she was last seen alive, was discovered. Tragically, less than two hours later, on May 6th, Jessica's lifeless body was found. She had been sexually assaulted and asphyxiated before being discarded and hastily buried under a fallen tree, approximately 70 feet or 21 meters from the bike path paralleling Sawmill Creek Road. Many of her belongings were found nearby. Jessica's murder sent shockwaves through the tranquil town. In Sitka, residents had long considered their town to be a haven of safety, with more concerns about encountering wildlife than dangers posed by other people in the woods. The notion of a stranger committing such a heinous crime as the rape and murder of a vibrant teenager was considered utterly inconceivable. The shock and disbelief reverberated through the community, with a candlelight vigil drawing more than 1,500 people, over a third of the town's population at the time, to the very bridge where Jessica's life had been tragically cut short. In the days that followed, with the killer still at large, an air of tension hung over the town as every man felt like a suspect and every woman feared becoming a potential victim. Law enforcement faced immense pressure to identify the perpetrator and then, the unexpected happened. Richard Bingham, a 35-year-old local resident, walked into the Sitka Police Department. Richard, known for his hard-drinking lifestyle and a familiar face in town, had recently been living aboard a boat in the harbor while working as a janitor at Sheldon Jackson College. He took pride in his job, but his reputation among friends painted a different picture. Accounts from that time portrayed him as highly suggestible and gullible, often falling prey to the teasing antics of his friends, who would invent outrageous stories about his actions during his drinking blackouts. Their tall tales played off the town's famously mild police blotter, with friends jokingly telling Richard that he had committed the absurd acts listed there. In response, he would feel remorse and try to make amends for things he never actually did. The turning point came when, amidst the overwhelming news of Jessica's tragic death, one of Richard's drinking buddies suggested that he might have had some involvement in the crime. The seed of doubt took root in the man's mind and he soon found himself at the police station, seeking help for disturbing dreams and flashbacks related to the murder. At the time, he held a misplaced trust in the police, viewing them as allies who could assist him in understanding his troubling thoughts. That decision, however, would prove to be a grave mistake. Sitka's small police department subjected Richard to several hours of interrogation utilizing the Reed Technique, an aggressive method notorious for its potential to yield false confessions. The Reed Technique involves police officers asserting the existence of evidence linking the person to the crime even if such evidence doesn't actually exist. Throughout the interview, the police fed Richard details of the crime, some of which he agreed with or partially agreed with. Crucially, none of the information that Richard volunteered on his own was accurate. Despite his public defender arguing that the confession was coerced, the Sitka Police Department felt it was sufficient for an arrest. 
On May 15, 1996, just 10 days after Jessica's murder, Richard was arrested and charged with the crime. The arrest marked a pivotal moment in the case, with the confession becoming a central element in the legal proceedings to come. Richard found himself incarcerated in Juneau, beginning a nightmarish chapter in his life. Initially, he endured months of isolation, apparently for his own protection. Life in the jail's general population proved to be equally as harrowing. Richard felt like a constant target, with fellow inmates constantly trying to corner him. The trial had been moved to Juneau due to the difficulty of securing an impartial jury in Sitka. The jury was shown the video footage of the interrogation, and after a 10-day trial, it took the jury only two hours to acquit Richard on all charges. In total, Richard spent 13 months behind bars. After being released, he would eventually settle in a college town near the Canadian border and attempt to rebuild his life. Despite his exoneration, the shadow of suspicion continued to loom over him and many still believed him to be Jessica's killer. The wrongful arrest of Richard Bingham had devastating consequences not only for him but also for the pursuit of justice in Jessica's killer. The time and resources dedicated to Richard's arrest and trial diverted law enforcement attention away from the actual perpetrator, allowing the real killer to remain at large. In the years following Richard's release, the Baggin family continued to grapple with unanswered questions and the lingering pain of Jessica's unsolved murder. Richard's wrongful prosecution had been a devastating twist in their quest for justice, casting doubt on the process of the investigation. As the years passed, investigators tirelessly pursued leads, re-examined evidence, and explored every avenue available to bring Jessica's killer to justice. The Sitka Police Department, in collaboration with the Alaska State Troopers and dedicated private investigators, persevered in their efforts to close the case that had haunted the community for over two decades. Despite the challenges and frustrations, the Baggin family, alongside a supportive Sitka community, refused to let Jessica's memory fade into the background. Their advocacy and relentless pursuit of answers played a pivotal role in keeping the case in the public eye and pressuring law enforcement to continue the search for the real killer. A significant turning point came in 2018 when cold case investigators decided to leverage the power of genetic genealogy, a cutting-edge forensic technique that had yielded promising results in other unsolved cases. The craziest part of this story may be the fact that authorities collected a DNA sample from Jessica's body and had clearly never thought to see if it matched Richard Bingham. They thought he was confessing and got so tunnel vision that they completely ignored solid evidence. The police submitted the DNA sample to Parabon Nano Labs, which then uploaded it to publicly accessible genealogy databases. That innovative approach marked a critical breakthrough in the investigation. Through extensive genealogical research and meticulous DNA analysis, investigators honed in on a prime suspect, 66-year-old Steve Branch. Steve lived in Sitka for 15 years after the murder. In 2010, he and his family members moved to the small town of Austin, Arkansas, northeast of Little Rock. In 1996, just two months before Jessica's murder, a troubling incident involving Steve unfolded at Seamart, a local grocery store in Sitka. An 18-year-old female co-worker at Seamart was discovered crying in the break room by a fellow employee. When asked about her distress, the young woman revealed a horrifying experience. She had been raped by Steve. 
The sexual assault was reported to the Sitka Police Department in mid-March, prompting an investigation into Steve's actions. Officers devised a plan to obtain a confession from him by having the teenager engage him in a recorded phone call. However, Steve never admitted to the assault during that conversation. Shockingly, despite the seriousness of the alleged crime and its proximity to Jessica's murder, Steve was not arrested for the sexual assault until June, over a month after Jessica's brutal murder and after Richard Bingham had already been arrested. The delayed response to Steve's arrest has since ignited concerns about why a man charged with sexually assaulting a teenager so close to Jessica's death was never considered a suspect. What's more, prosecutors had Steve's blood in their possession at the time, which could have been used to compare to the DNA samples collected from Jessica's body. As authorities closed in on Steve as the likely perpetrator, they traveled to Arkansas to interview him about Jessica's murder. Their attempts to secure a DNA sample and question him directly were met with resistance. Steve vehemently denied any involvement in the crime and refused to cooperate with the investigation. Tragically, just 30 minutes after the officers left to obtain a warrant for the DNA sample, Steve Branch successfully put an end to his own existence. Despite the shocking turn of events, the scientific evidence was unequivocal. DNA obtained from Steve's body during the autopsy was a definitive match for the DNA found on Jessica Baggin, conclusively linking him to the crime. The 25-year-old journey for justice had finally come to an end. The resolution of Jessica's case, while finally identifying the true monster responsible for the crime, leaves an indelible mark of sorrow and unanswered questions. The community and her family finally found closure, knowing the real killer was identified. But the decades of uncertainty and the potential for unaccounted crimes during those 25 years weighed heavily on their hearts. If you're the victim of domestic abuse, please reach out to someone for help. Please talk to your local shelter or call the National Domestic Abuse Hotline at 1-800-799-SAFE. That's 1-800-799-7233. Or you can go to thehotline.org to chat with someone online. This website is set up so that, at any time, hitting the escape key twice will take you to a Google search page. That way, if your abuser is nearby, you won't get caught seeking help. If you're having feelings of harming yourself or someone else, or even just need someone to talk to, please contact your local mental health facility. Call 911 or call the National Suicide Prevention Hotline by simply dialing 988 in the United States. They're available 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, and will talk to you about any mental health issue you may be facing. If you are a member of the LGBTQ community and suffering from discrimination, depression, or are in need of any support, please contact the LGBT National Hotline at 1-888-843-4564 or go to lgbthotline.org. Thanks so much for letting me tell you this story. If you enjoyed it, subscribe on whatever platform you're on, hit like, rate us, or leave us a comment. You can check out our other show, Somewhere Sinister, on YouTube or anywhere you listen to podcasts. If you'd like to support the show, check out our merchandise at thisismonsters.com. The link is in the description. Thanks again, and be safe.